0: What government agency tried to wrestle control of manned spaceflight from NASA multiple times? Oh, we don't know. And what fruit do
1: humans share the most DNA with?
0: Oh, that's interesting. <laughs> Answers to those and other questions coming up in this episode of The Off-Ramp with Bob and Marsha Fruity Smith. <laughs> <laughs> To the off-ramp, a chance to slow down, steer clear of crazy, take a side road to sanity, and get some perspective on life with some fascinating facts and tantalizing trivia. Well, what fruits are we related to the most, Marsha? <laughs> that is an interesting question.
1: Well, I'll give you a hint. You'll like the answer. And we share DNA? Yes, with fruit in okay. different degrees. Okay. But this one has the most And I want you to guess which fruit that might be
0: That would be blueberries No My favorite fruit right now Is it really? No, I don't know Um, Let's see, what would be the fruit that would be most like us? Apples? Uh, Bananas? Because they have a peel? I'll go with bananas because they have a peel And
1: what was your name
0: when you were young? Banana Bob That's right, and that's
1: the answer Oh my God (laughs) (laughs) Oh no Yes, it's true uh, bananas. We share, uh, depending on what study you read, between fifty and sixty percent of our DNA with the banana. No kidding. Yes, and think about that the next time you have breakfast. But what it... kind of
0: ramifications does that have?
1: <laughs> well, think about this. Uh, we share seventy percent of our DNA with slugs. So. <laughs>
0: wait, 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 wait. You mean seventy percent of slugs'
1: DNA is like ours, or seventy percent of both of our DNA? Is identical.
0: Oh my god!
1: <laughs> okay. <laughs> and fifty to sixty percent in bananas. So.
0: <laughs> okay, where did this come from?
1: Uh, it came from the Genome Research Institute.
0: Wow. Okay, um, it sounds uh, impressive. <laughs> But very.
1: You thought I made it up. Very, didn't you? very
0: disturbing. I might add. <laughs> okay. Well, this is a little disturbing because this is hidden history most of us didn't know about. Did you know that there was a government agency that tried to wrestle control of manned space flight from NASA not once but multiple times? No, I did not. What do you think it might have been? FBI. Mm, the FBI wants to go into outer space? No, I guess not. I guess not. It's uh, kind of the natural one you would think.
1: The, uh, the, the Air mil- Force. The Oh, the military. Yes, the, the Air, Force. Air Force. Yes, it is obvious, natural. They
0: thought it was natural. This comes from a book recently published called Mercury Rising, John Glenn, John Kennedy, and the New Battleground of the Cold War. It's by historian Jeff Schischel, and he said that the Air Force wanted NASA. They wanted manned spaceflight, but neither Dwight Eisenhower nor John F. Kennedy would give it to them. They thought they were entitled to it. After all, the Soviet military controlled Russia's space program. Mm -hmm.
1: But we ain't Russia.
0: That's right. And President Eisenhower, who was a four-star general in World War II, they thought he would be a pushover, but he said no. He wanted it under civilian control. You remember, he did later warn the world of the military-industrial yeah, complex. Yeah, I did read that, absolutely. So he was probably thinking of that, too. Uh-huh. So he supported what was called the Space Act of 1958. They gave NASA jurisdiction. That's when NASA came into being. Okay. And his policy was space for peace. And he said to the Air Force, you can go ahead and do those high-speed supersonic jet planes like you've been doing. That's okay. But the manned space flight's going to be over here. Well." The Air Force didn't like that. Behind the scenes, they saw that as a rebuke. And so how many times do you think they tried to wrestle control of the program from NASA? That's number one. How many other times?
1: Uh, Four.
0: Not that many. Twice? Twice. Twice. (laughs) Let's let's say that again, Marsh. How many other times? Four? No, twice, Marsh. (laughs) I'm trying to get you to get the right answer this time. See, and I can edit out the mistakes. Uh, Never mind. Okay. Anyway... Twice more. They did it a second time while Eisenhower was still president. This must have really ticked him off. JFK had just been elected, Uh and the Air Force released a letter publicly expressing confidence JFK understood the need for military supremacy in space. Wow. Wow. But JFK, who also served in the military, said no. He wanted the U.S. to have a better image. He thought that would be happening if they explored space for all mankind. And then the third time that the Air Force tried to do it was when all those things were blowing up on the launching pad before oh. we sent a man up in space. <gasps> you know, the Soviets were sending dogs. They'd send yeah. an astronaut. We're still blowing up things and on the launch pad. What's his name, pads. Yuri Gagarin Yuri Gagarin was the first man in space, and he was Russian, right? NASA was doing so poorly that Kennedy's advisor, Jerome Wisner, was in favor of either transferring Project Mercury to the military or canceling it altogether. And the big change? The reason John Glenn's name is in the book's title, Uh because that's what proved it was okay, let's move forward with this. He made it. John Glenn went went into space, and uh, Uh from that point on, NASA had manned spaceflight. But even John Glenn was concerned about not coming back. His mission was scrubbed 10 times due to technical problems. Mm -hmm. So he had even recorded a message to his sons to be played in the event that he died. But that's the background on how the Air Force tried to wrestle control of a manned space flight from NASA three times. I'm glad they didn't win. Yeah, me too, because we wouldn't have had the civilian space program we have now and all these companies doing things now. Uh, That would never have happened if the military retained control of it.
1: Yeah. Okay, Bob, I have a question. You and I, we know lots of figures of speech, don't we? Yes. But I've never heard of this one, Paraprostokian.
0: Para prostokian.
1: Yes, it's a Greek word.
0: Well, it sounds Russian to me. <laughs>
1: it does, doesn't it? That is prostokian. I, I believe it is Greek. Well, I don't it's know. It's a figure of speech, which I've never heard of, but
0: Paris prostokian. Paris P A R A S or Paris P A R A
1: para pros P R O S and dokian, T O K I A. What does
0: it stand for? What's it mean?
1: It's uh, something commonly used, especially amongst uh, comedians. It's a figure of speech in which the latter part of the sentence, phrase, or larger discourse has a surprising or unexpected way to end it.
0: It's like a joke, basically.
1: It sort of is. Here's one. Stephen King. I have the heart of a small boy in a glass jar on my desk. (laughs) (laughs) Right, right. Or Rodney Dangerfield. When I was a kid, my parents moved a lot, but I always found them. (laughs) Groucho Marx. I had a wonderful evening, but this wasn't it. (laughs) So it's a totally unexpected ending to a first line, isn't it? And so
0: we had to have that fancy word to explain it. That's weird.
1: Those are all paraprostokians. And and finally, Bob, Emo Phillips. I always remember my grandfather's last
0: words. A truck! (laughs) (laughs) Jeez. All right. (laughs) Speaking of vehicles, I've got a vehicle question. Oh, really? Okay, Uh, that's
1: the segue. Okay,
0: now we hear so much talk these days about electric vehicles. I mean, it's everywhere, right? Mm -hmm. Here's a good question. How much market share do electric vehicles have? And this is a 2021 statistic.
1: Okay, I'll say 1%.
0: It's not much different. 3%.
1: 3%.
0: Yes, I thought it was more than. I thought maybe it was 10 or oh, 15. Really? Yeah. Oh. Electric vehicles only accounted for 3% of the 15 million cars and trucks sold in the U.S. in 2021.
1: Well, it doesn't make much sense to buy them yet. For one thing, they're ridiculously expensive. But two, if you want to go for a trip, aren't you going to worry that there's not a charging station? I don't know. I like, uh, what are those called? Hybrids. Yes. Uh, those make sense to me. They
0: do make sense.
1: Okay, Bob. In what courtroom will you still find quill feather pens?
0: Wow. Yeah. They still have quill feather pens somewhere? Uh-huh. Is it the Museum of American Courtrooms, <laughs> by any chance?
1: Or... No. Okay,
0: is it in the Supreme Court? Yes. No kidding.
1: Well, it, and this is cool. You'll like this because it's all about keeping history and tradition. At the lawyers' tables that they sit at when they come to, you know, state their case to the judges, there's a big lineup of quill feather pens the way it was when the Supreme Court started out in the early days. And as a little bonus, if you argue a case before the Supreme Court, you get to take that home with you. Oh, no kidding. Yeah. Yeah, a little pad of paper and a quill pen laying in front of you when you sit down.
0: They still make these then, apparently, because if they keep giving them away. Yes, they do. Wow.
1: There's another tradition that is still a holdover, too. The Supreme Court actually started in 1790, so it goes back a bit. But another old tradition is, and they still do it to this day, when the court justices walk into the courtroom, they all shake each other's hands.
0: Oh, not bad. Not a bad thing. Yeah. That you should be cordial with your adversaries.
1: that you are fellow human beings.
0: That's what we should be thinking about these days. Uh huh. Okay, Marcia, in 1893, the country of New Zealand became the first country in the world to do what? And I will give you some choices oh, here. Oh, thank you. In 1893, New Zealand became the first country in the world to vote by mail, ratify a constitution, grant women the right to vote, gain independence from Britain we can eliminate the last one cuz they're not the first country to gain independence from great britain we were
1: yeah what all
0: about right. all the rest here
1: i'll say number 1
0: vote by mail uh-huh in 1893 no now of course not it was number oh, it two. It could be. It was the Electoral oh, Bill yeah, of 1893. Yeah, you could have
1: a little guy on a horse coming, dropping yeah, off your that ballot. Could,
0: that could have been the Electoral Bill of it, 1893. It wasn't, though. Was it? No, it, it wasn't, Mark. <laughs> All right, tell me. <laughs> in 1893, New Zealand became the first country in the world to grant national voting rights for women. Oh, the first country? Yeah, after oh, yeah. years of suffragette struggles across the North Island and the South Island, women finally went to the polls for the first time that November in 1893. It would be another 27 years before the U.S. did the same. Huh. So New Zealand yeah. is the first country to grant women voting rights across the country.
1: Well, you go, girls. That's great. All right, Bob, acronyms. Mm -hmm. God knows we have enough of them and too many. And here's some that I didn't even know were acronyms, so I want to know if you know what they stand for. Okay. TASER.
0: Oh, TASER, the TASER weapon.
1: You'll like this.
0: It's something about laser, something laser. I don't know what the T stands for, though.
1: Nope, you're totally wrong.
0: That's what I thought.
1: (laughs) (laughs) It stands for Tom a. Swift electric rifle.
0: Oh, no kidding. Yes.
1: It was named after a 1911 young adult adventure novel that was much beloved by a NASA researcher, Jack Cover, who invented the Taser in 1974. Wow. And he gave Taser the name after his Tom Swift uh, electric rifle.
0: I uh, had no idea Tom Swift went that far back because they had the Tom Swift radio shows and stuff. And did so, they? So Davis. it was an old character then. when yeah, they, Oh, yeah. On radio. 1911,
1: yeah, that is. Wow. And so I love that uh, modern. Tom
0: Tom A. Swift, Thomas A. Swift, what? Electric rifle. Electric rifle, Mm -hmm. taser. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Who knew? Isn't that cool? That is.
1: How about laser?
0: Well, laser is. (laughs) Here we go. (laughs) Laser. Okay, you can help me with that one.
1: Light amplification by the stimulated emission of radiation.
0: I knew it had something to do with light, but I didn't know all those other words went <laughs> together. Just ru- you know, just ru- rolled off my tongue. Okay, L A S E R. Light amplification
1: by the stimulated emission of radiation. Stimulated emission, emission of radiation of radiation. That sounds kind of funny to me a stimulated emission, <laughs> but I'm not going to go there. Okay, <laughs> scuba.
0: Uh, SCUBA. Did Let you know see. that was an acronym? I knew it was an acronym, but wow. I, you know, I, you, caught, you caught me unawares so I didn't have my acronym book out today. I know,
1: Self-Contained Underwater Breathing apparatus. There
0: you go. Now, that one is the most logical yes. one. Yeah,
1: yeah. And something you can actually understand. Yeah. Okay.
0: All, All right. right. Let me give you a question. Okay. Queen Elizabeth is not the head of state for which of these four countries is Queen Elizabeth II? Not the head of state for. Okay. This is like a technicality we don't understand. Okay. If we were in the Commonwealth, we would understand. Okay? So there's India, Canada, New Zealand, or Jamaica. Mm, I will say Canada. Canada. No. Queen Elizabeth is the head of state of Canada, technically. Yeah. But in India, she isn't. Mm. Even though India is related to Great Britain as a member of the Commonwealth of Nations and a former British colony, it no longer recognizes Queen Elizabeth II as its head of state. That was part of when they broke away from England. Uh, Canada, New Zealand, and Jamaica, as well as a handful of other countries, do consider the Queen to be their ceremonial leader. As such, they are known as Commonwealth Realms. Uh, the title, though, is just really for show. But I thought that was interesting, a distinction between uh-huh. all those countries that used to be, you know, English that are very related to England. Oh. Uh, India is the one that, in which the queen is not recognized. I feel they don't it. even know who she is when she goes there. <laughs>
1: who is that lady who over there? Who is that woman with all that fancy hair? I don't recognize her. Okay. Yes, I feel enlightened. Thank you, Bob. Good. Is it time for a break? It's
0: time for a break. All right. You're listening to The Off Ramp with Bob. And Masha. Smith. We'll be back in just a moment. Okay, we're back again. You're listening to The Off-Ramp with Bob and Marcia Smith.
1: Two more acronyms, okay? Mm -hmm. If you can remember back, we had a discussion about this once, WD-40.
0: Yes, yes. I think it was the 40th compound or something that they had worked on for this company. It's the oil, right? Isn't it WD-40? Yes.
1: What does it stand for?
0: I, I don't know. I don't know, but it's the 40th formula. 40th formula, That's yes. That's absolutely
1: right. And the WD stands for water displacement. Hmm. Those words, WD 40, is straight out of the lab book of the chemist who got it right after 39 failed
0: attempts. <laughs> so,
1: okay, last one.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: How about the musical group
0: ABBA? That is an acronym yeah. of the names of the performers.
1: Excellent. Did you guess that?
0: I knew that, but I couldn't tell you what the names of the performers are, but I.
1: Agnatha? Bjorn, Benny, and Annie Frid.
0: There you go. There you go. (laughs) (laughs) Baba. Hey, speaking of music, how much money do good song catalogs bring in each year? And I'm going to give you an example here. Uh, Rodgers and Hammerstein. How much money does their catalog bring in every year
1: still to this this day day, yeah you mean in terms of dollars
0: i'll give you some information here okay okay you have to keep in mind that they died 41 and 60 years ago respectively rogers and hammerstein yeah the company that owns the 241 songs they wrote has been raking in millions since the family heirs sold the song rights in the mid-2000s Five of their top 10 money-making songs are from The Sound of Music, but 10 other musicals still generate money, including Oklahoma, The King and I, and South Pacific. There's songs and shows which collect fees and royalties from local theater groups, companies like Volvo and Frito-Lay that use them in commercials, and artists like Grande who repurpose their hooks and music, and then music streamers like Spotify and Apple. They all brought in revenue of how much money recently?
1: Okay, I'll just... $1 million.
0: $10 million. No, really? $10 million for two people who were gone. Wow. Half a
1: century ago.
0: Most of that work took place 50, 60, 70 years ago. Who gets it? The family? Well, the family did get it for a long time. Even in the 21st century, family members were still getting checks of $100,000 a year in royalties. Multiple family members were still getting that much money.
1: That's amazing.
0: Now, their catalog is assumed to be worth about $350 million, which makes it the third most valuable behind Michael Jackson whose is worth 375 million and what's the number one catalog uh, uh
1: of beatles songs.
0: the beatles right that's worth 500 million Jeez. and uh, paul mccartney owns part of that now i don't know how much but remember yeah, he, he had he to bought go
1: back in well yeah.
0: he went back and had a settlement with sony and yeah. it, and they settled it without any kind of information
1: he was pretty cranky about that he was that, cranky so. about it
0: hired some pretty strong lawyers yeah. and uh, they got some kind of a settlement there so we don't know how much paul gets and but to, we know he gets enough I'll, you know
1: always and maybe he'll stop bringing out those re- packaged beetle things that cost a fortune and you always seem to need to get (laughs) i need those
0: well what he does though i find this is a smart business move he wasn't getting the money from the original recordings anymore yeah because michael jackson owned that for a while then Uh. sony bought it and all that so if he remixes the songs and makes them sound better that money goes to the four families yeah
1: that's how he set it up yeah i thought that was brilliant it is brilliant yeah. So, and they sounded pretty good, you seem to be. They delighted sound wonderful. With-
0: okay, Marsh one more question on the United Kingdom here, okay? Okay. The UK Parliament includes the House of Lords and the House of What? We have the House and the Senate. Yeah. They have the House of Lords and the House of
1: Um should-
0: Let me give you a hint. Okay. Membership in the House of Lords, that's the upper house of the English Parliament, is by appointment or hereditary.
1: Oh, God. Me- meaning
0: most of those seats are held by barons or earls or other titled people. We just
1: fell into it. That's
0: the House of Lords. The other ones, they have to be elected. That's the House of—
1: It's, it's not Parliament. Commons. Co- House of Commons. Commons, yes. Okay.
0: That is the publicly elected legislative body. Their members of Parliament debate and propose laws, and the so commons. So, what do the Lords get to? Do? I don't know, but the Commons alone is responsible for deciding on financial bills. So, I don't know what the House of Lords does.
1: Huh, but you know, just prances around.
0: <laughs> well, somebody could tell us that's not the case, Marcia. And <laughs> it's not taking so flippantly as you are. Uh-huh. Okay.
1: Okay. What is the largest living bird on Earth?
0: The ostrich. Is the largest living bird. That is
1: correct. Yes. How big is it?
0: How big is it? Yeah,
1: how big is it?
0: Uh, I think they can be eight feet tall.
1: Yeah. It's uh, Actually, uh, the boys can grow up to nine feet tall and weigh 280 pounds, almost 300-pound bird.
0: So you don't want them angry at you. Oh,
1: my God. chasing after you. Yeah, women are more petite. They grow up to six feet and weigh around 200. So they're more dainty. Uh, (laughs) All right. Of the 102 people, Bob, aboard the Mayflower, your ancestors, <laughs> 13 of them had the same first name. What was it?
0: Really? Really? <laughs> no, really, that's the name. Uh, Thirteen had the same it wasn't prudence. Uh let me see. Thirteen had the same wasn't John, was it? It was. No kidding. Bingo. Wow. Ding ding.
1: Yes. It was. And what was your ancestor's name?
0: It was George. Well there George you go. Soul.
1: It wasn't George. But but yes, John is correct.
0: Okay. All right. I have a bird question for you. All right. <laughs> What bird eaten regularly today was once revered, celebrated, and not eaten for thousands of years? Say again. What bird eaten regularly today was once revered, celebrated, and not eaten? Chicken, the chicken. Exactly. Think about this when you bite into your next chicken sandwich. Chickens were once celebrated, venerated, and admired by civilizations and may not have been eaten for thousands of years. They descended from red jungle fowl in Asia and were first viewed by human beings as marvelous and exotic. So the birds were left alone to do as they please. And they know this because of some of the fossils they found. When they examined the remains of chickens at more than 600 sites around the world, they found chickens buried alone with no signs of butchery. In fact, some even had healed leg fractures, which really? suggested human the, care.
1: Oh, my goodness. Wow. They they were revered.
0: Guess who brought the idea of eating chickens to Great Britain? It was the Romans, because when the Romans got there, the people that lived there, they didn't eat chickens. They just yeah. thought chickens were sacred, uh-huh. like they were in other parts of the world. Uh-huh. Not the Romans. We, ate, <laughs> we eat chicken. Yeah, so from 43 AD on, Britain started eating Chickens. chickens, yeah, damn
1: it. We're gonna eat chicken,
0: and the oldest forms of domesticated chickens they found is 3,500 years old. That's domesticated a... chicken, yeah,
1: <laughs> oh, yeah, okay, all right. I'll, I'll I, do... I
0: had no idea that chickens were considered that you know valuable, yeah. Or...
1: yeah, and they are kind of pretty, some of them sometimes. Okay, I have two quickies. Okay, okay. before he discovered his real vocation as a lover and a libertine, Casanova was preparing for a job as what? A priest. That's right. Did you guess that? <laughs> yeah, I
0: knew that he was going to be oh, a priest.
1: He was quite the, the scallion. Not the scallion. What's the word?
0: Scallywag—that's
1: the word I was thinking. Okay, of. he was quite the scallywag. He was a gambler, and uh, he just—you uh, know—was sexing all over the place. He was
0: sexing all <laughs> over the place. What <laughs> and, the heck does and, that mean? Yeah,
1: and uh, gambling and uh, drinking. Yeah, he had quite an interesting life. Okay, next question. Sure. There are only two animals in the world that can get leprosy. Who are they?
0: Well, human beings. Yes,
1: that's one, half right.
0: Would it be uh, I'm just thinking along the lines of monkeypox, would it be apes or No. No.
1: No. It seems so contrary, but they just happen to have the same makeup needed to attract this disease, and it's armadillos.
0: Armadillos <laughs> and human beings yeah, can both got, get leprosy. Get leprosy yep. Oh my goodness. You think that that they could fend off leprosy if yeah, they're armadillos? With, the, with
1: that shell and no everything. Kidding. Right? Did you know they can walk underwater?
0: No. <laughs> yeah, really? Yeah. Who knew? Do all that, but still get leprosy. Yeah. <laughs> what is wrong with it's, those things? It ain't
1: fair. Life ain't fair, Bob.
0: Okay. Geography question. Yeah. What state has the highest average elevation? I'll give you four. Average elevation. Okay. Alaska, Colorado, Utah, or Wyoming? Mm-hmm. Which state has the highest average elevation? Aver- I'll say Colorado. It is Colorado. I thought it would be Alaska because mm-hmm. they boast the highest mountains uh, in the United States mm-hmm. and the most mountains in the United States, uh, you know, that are that far above sea level, uh, 20,000 feet or so. But the state with the highest average elevation is Colorado, and the average elevation is 6,800 feet there. So that's a lot. That makes sense when you consider Colorado is home to the uh, big chunk of the Rocky Mountain Range. But... Uh, Colorado's mean elevation is even higher than the capital of Denver, because Denver's considered a mile-high city, yeah. 5,280 feet, but the average height in Colorado is even higher at 6,800 feet. No kidding. Who's their nearest competitor in average elevation? I'd say Alaska. I would have thought that, too. No, but, it's Utah and Wyoming. I'll be doing. Utah has 6,100 feet, Wyoming 6,700 feet, and they share borders with Colorado.
1: All right, Pop. What was the first major comic strip to feature a
0: minority character? First major comic strip. It's in
1: our time, something
0: really? we all read. To feature a minority character. Let me see. Huh. Um, it wasn't Nancy and Sluggo.
1: <laughs> God, they didn't do anything. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Is this, uh, uh, oh, would it be Peanuts? Yes. Peanuts, yes. Good for you. Little black boy or little black His girl? His name was Franklin. Franklin, okay. Franklin,
1: he was introduced in 1968 following the assassination of Dr. Martin Luther King, Jr. Uh, Schulz, Charles Schultz, received a letter from a woman asking him to add an African-American character to the comic. And three months later, in July 1968, Franklin made his debut by picking up and returning a beach ball that Charlie Brown had lost.
0: <laughs> and he became
1: part of the Peanuts gang after that.
0: That's great.
1: Uh-huh. I, I, I don't know why I like that introduction to
0: a new character.
1: You know, oh, here's your beach ball, and he's with the gang ever, Just ever since. Just
0: happens to show up. Yeah. Yeah, well, that makes sense. Uh-huh. That's the way to do that kind of thing.
1: Yeah, I like it. All right. All right. Here's my final quote. Okay. Cary Grant. hmm I pretended to be somebody I wanted to be until finally I became that person, or he
0: became me. I remember that. He kind of felt like he had a little bit of an identity crisis yes. when it was all over with.
1: Yes, because he didn't know where he was anymore. He was His demeanor, his presence, he wanted to be Sophisticated and debonair, and God knows he was. He
0: did, but you know, he started out as Archie Leach. Yeah. Well, being like an acrobat and wearing sandwich boards. Yes. I mean, that's nothing like his.
1: Nothing like his, his final persona. No, I could, yeah. he was
0: such a sophisticated man. He, he looked good every time he put on a suit. Yeah. would say, man, that guy looks good. Yeah,
1: he does. And here's one from an old movie star, Tallulah Bankhead. Oh, yeah. She goes way back. Yeah. It's the good girls who keep the diaries the bad girls never have the time.
0: (laughs) (laughs) That's great. (laughs) Well, that's kind of why I never kept a diary. Uh, The bad boy. Yeah, you're such a bad boy. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Well, we hope you enjoyed our show today, and we hope you'll consider sending us your trivia question. If you have something you'd like to stump us with, or stump one of us with, you can send it by going to our website, theofframp.show, scrolling all the way down to...
1: Contact us, and do contact us. That's uh, it. And we'll Use it on the show. Thank you for listening.
0: That's it. You're just wrapping it up for me here. Okay. Uh-huh. All no, right. You can do your spiel. Oh, that's fine. No, go ahead. No, go ahead. I have
1: to always have the last word. Go no, ahead. you go ahead. <laughs> All right. That's it. I'm Marcia. I'm Bob Smith.
0: <laughs> <laughs> See, you don't know how to do it. Do you? I don't know. Yes, uh, Miss Smarty Pants. You can't do it. Oh, you thought you knew how to do it, but you can't. <laughs> I'm Bob Smith. I'm Marcia Smith. Join us again next time when we return with more fascinating facts and tantalizing trivia here on The Off Ramp. The Off Ramp is produced in association with CPL Radio Online and the Cedarbrook Public Library, Cedarbrook, Wisconsin.